you for listening. Thank you for downloading the EFTM Formula One podcast. Trevor Long with you alongside Connor McNally, Harry Tucker at the Azerbaijan Baku circuit. It's one of our favourite Grand Prix just because of the shit that goes down. Now, boys, we do it all thanks to the good people at KO, and we need to tell people before we talk about the race. Harry Tucker, do you recommend people who are downloading this podcast, do you recommend they watch the race? A resounding yes. Connor? Absolutely, you have to watch the race before you listen to us three talking about it because, boy, oh, boy, you have got a lot to catch up on. So go and watch now. All right, so the plan is you need to press pause here. You need to go and get onto the race on KO. Now, my nine-year-old said to me, will you be here in the morning? Would you be able to tell me whether I should watch the race or the highlights? Now, I'm going to say to him, watch the highlights um, because I do think 51 laps compressed into maybe 10 to 20 minutes might actually come out to be one heck of an exciting thing. So personally, I'd probably opt for the highlights, um, but the bottom line is you need, you need to watch the you need to watch this before we talk about it. So that's the plan. And Jacko, man, he'll watch the whole bloody thing. He just will. I don't know. He'll skip. <laughs> he'll probably skip class. Um, all right. So we do it all thanks to the good people at KO, uh, which is where you can watch every single practice session, the full qualifying, uh, the full race, and all the Sky Sports content. So literally everything that Sky Sports F1 does, uh, whether it's the hour and a half before the Grand Prix or the, uh, what is it, a full hour before qualifying. They have plenty of pre- and post-race content. That's where you get it all, and you can get it for free if you just want to watch practice. Uh, the races and whatnot are all part of the simple $25 a month package on KO Sports, and that's not just F1. It's everything. Boys, wow. Um, I mean, 51 laps, two of them which were outstandingly brilliant, probably another six or seven of them were, were fascinating. And that's what I mean about the idea of, you know, this was – this was still not as exciting as it could have been, Connor. I watched mm-hmm. the F2 and there was so much, you know, tight passing, you know, lunges up the inside. You just don't see that in F1 still, unfortunately. But um, it, it was a, overall just a cracker race, uh, which was uh, Max Verstappen's to lose. And in the end, it was Pirelli who lost it for him. Absolutely. It, it was not only... Pirelli that lost it for Max Verstappen, it lost it for Lance Stroll. He was one of the two drivers that suffered tyre failures and catastrophic tyre failures. I mean, let's face it, it could have been far, far worse accidents for both of them, but uh, it was just astounding that we saw both of them suffer the same failure at almost the same spot. And for Max, I mean, that race, as you said, was his to lose and he lost it in a massive way. And I mean, you got to feel for Max. You really, really do. But there's a very interesting thing that you, Harry, myself really took out of this is that we think the drivers may have pushed a little too far when it came to those hard tires everyone pitted early for those hard tires but Sebastian Vettel really you know undercut everyone by going to the softs near the end of the race and he had fresher tires when that race restarted well he was lucky Harry I think to have the a brand new set of softs at the end which helped him uh get right into that podium and and maintain it but Harry, I think the question we've got right now, and there'll be a lot of analysis probably already done by the time people are listening to this, is, you know, the Pirelli tyres, the hard tyres are meant to go the longest. We had George Russell pit in the first lap potentially to go the whole race. Um, Pirelli apparently said that they'd last 40 laps, but we had a Lance Stroll tyre failure after, I don't know, 30-ish. What do you think, Harry, about the tyre situation, you know, just as a raw viewer with, you know, the basic info, 
where do you think the the problem lies and and what should or shouldn't happen? Well, it clearly looks like there was with the, the change to the downforce regulations that that Pirelli perhaps um, wasn't able to get the performance out uh, that they thought they might be able to get to with these with the change in downforce. So. I think there's obviously teams not going to be happy, especially your Red Bulls and, and Aston Martins. And I think we'll get the report this week and see how it goes. But it, it certainly looks like it is not on the teams. Um, and it's definitely on on Pirelli to assess how they've got this wrong. Is it tyre pressure? Did they Is is the, the maths wrong? Did they get the wrong tyre pressure in this heat, in this track? And yeah, I, I, it's hard to say without the analysis. But you're right. I think it'll be a big point. Like we've had... In the last, you know, five seasons, there's been a couple of instance instances like this now with with Pirelli. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, I think the interesting thing for me is, and I've been on a bit of a Twitter war with a few people over this because <laughs> yes, my, my view and a very the thing about Twitter, people got to remember it's fun. You got to have an opinion. You're not you're not trying to solve the world's problems, right? But my my view straight up was this: um, Pirelli uh, give an expectation of life. Um, midway through the race, we had Lance Stroll pushing the tyres to their limit. So, you know, trying to get them further than anyone else to, you know, hope for a safety car and, you know, then capitalise greatly on that, right? But Mm. he had a failure. And, mate, I I don't care what anyone says, that was a failure. It was just so obvious that it it collapsed on the left-hand side. and the wall, wasn't it? Nothing to do with where. No, that's right, right? It was, it was, there was no degradation obvious. Um, the, the tyre failed. So that happened you know, 30 odd laps in. So is there not some responsibility on the teams? And this is my point to look at that and go, hmm, boys, should we, should we accept the risk that must exist here? Because it's not like it's the first time, as Harry mentioned. Hello, Silverstone. Lewis My and, point exactly. and Valtteri. Um, Valtteri at this race three years ago. I mean, come on. It's not the first time it's happened. You are you run the risk by staying out. As one bloke said to me on Twitter, these guys could pit 10 times if they wanted to, but they don't yeah. because, the, because that's a disadvantage. But that's the choice they run, Connor. It is a massive choice that they run. And basically they're throwing the dice to seeing if they're going to last the distance or if they do a pit stop. It's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. And for a lot of these guys, in particular for Verstappen, they took the risk. They took the risk to go for as long as they could. And in the end, we saw what happened with Verstappen with the tyre fouling. He had no indication that there was any delamination or whatever. He said so on the radio and it just just exploded. I mean, there are other occasions where tyres have exploded and good case in point, I'm going to go back here, Nigel Mansell. Adelaide 86, tired, exploded along. Mate, that is uh, ridiculous. It is. But, <laughs> but, but my case in point is, my case in point is, <laughs> you idiots, the case in point is Nelson Piquet reacted the very next lap. He did, he knew that if he kept going on those tyres that he was running, he would not last the race. So he had to pit, and a few of them did as well. That So, you know, maybe mm. the logic is lost on some of the drivers that if you see a particular incident happening, um, you got to take the chance to, you know, change for the tyres. But it was interesting with with Lance. They were, where he had his crash was near the pit entry, so they couldn't pit for <laughs> most of that safety car period. Harry, Harry's point there was the best. The only bloke that would take advantage of a safety car was the bloke that caused the yeah. safety car because yes. he hadn't pitted yet. At that point, no, Lance Stroll had not pitted yet. If that yeah. was any other car. 
and and the pit lane was open, Lance Stroll would have come out with the freshest tyres and potentially literally won the race. I mean, there's just no doubt about that because that strategy oh. played off. But, Harry, that's what I find fascinating about this, right? I'll just talk about tyres for a little bit longer, right? Essentially, we've got this really predictability about the whole thing when it comes to tyres because you've got tyres that last this long, another set of tyres that last a bit longer, another set of tyres that last a bit longer than that. And so if you're given a set of tyres that these guys are thinking they're going to last the whole race – it just takes away the whole point of having tire stops. Yeah, like in, and that's the thing as well with it is when Mac, you know we we heard McLaren speak to the FIA over that radio, which is great. They need to do that little oh, yeah, FIA team good. thing more. Freaking love that, especially when we heard. Uh, uh, was it Red Bull They're talking to Michael? Yeah, Red Bull yeah, talking Red, to Michael Massey, yeah. Massey to to pull oh. out the the red flag to stop the race, the red flag. But then the fascinating one was, um, oh, was McLaren, McLaren saying, about hey, Yuki. Yuki, Yuki, Yuki didn't slow down enough, and and Michael Massey goes, listen, no one slowed down enough. You're all at fault. Went, oh, okay, Michael. <laughs> but um, yeah, but, I, but- I'm I'm actually loving. Michael Massey's no bullshit approach right now. He's just taking he's taking no prisoners and laying down the law. I mean, I'm just absolutely loving that. But Harry, what what, what do you think about the whole the situation <laughs> where you know the tires that we're meant to have stops? That's the point of having yeah, yeah. tires that don't last a whole race. Well, that was that was my point. What I was before I, I remembered Michael Massey was um, McLaren was going. You know that they said on the radio, give the heads up after um, after Max blew up was that they, on the tyres, on all of them, they're showing there's no warning at all. No one's showing any warning on any tyres um, and then things are blowing up. And so if, if the teams have been given these calculations that they're going to last 40 laps, which would not have been the whole race, but it's actually 30, mm. and you can talk about it's their responsibility, but they're, they're running their data and it shows there's nowhere. Pirelli's told them it's going to last 40 laps and they're like, okay, even if we play it safe to, to 30, 35, yeah, that's fair. like what, what do you expect for them? Like, <laughs> exactly. like it's, they're, yeah, they're, they're, it's, it's on, yeah, it's definitely back. Put it back this way. Here's what I reckon. I, I reckon we because they were, people have been complaining that Pirelli went a, a step too soft because, you know, there's obviously several yeah. tires and they've got to choose three out of them. They should always be soft. We should always have, we should never have a one-stop race. A one-stop race is boring, especially in the current era. We should have forced multiple stop races so that then you actually do have some sense of, you know, like the supercars. They've got like a two, you have a two, four mm. stops. I think yeah. that stuff really helps ensure that you get the uh, the randomness of pit stops. You get all that sort of stuff. But just, just looking at the overall race strategy, I also thought it was fascinating if you looked at the opening, I don't know, call it 20 laps. Um, I reckon a lot of teams literally assumed there'd be a safety car. And I reckon Ricardo would be oh, one definitely. of them. Yeah, Sitting absolutely. there just lapping around thinking, we're just going to keep going here. Norris is pitted. We're going to keep going. We're going to hope for the man. Plan A just didn't happen. That, that, that kind of is the roll of the dice you've got to have at a track like this, especially with those walls. But Oh, yeah. We got one in the uh, end. We, we got one in the end, but not at the right point that Daniel was no. hoping for. I mean, let's face it, Daniel – basically screwed himself up last night in qualifying when he uh, understeered off into the wall at 13 and, and that basically ended his chances of having a decent top 10 start. So he was basically behind the eight ball from that point on. I think it was as lucky tonight that he actually got to finish in the points because we saw but a couple that, weeks ago in Monaco he didn't even get close to it. But like you said, that was luck. Like he, he finished ninth, started 13th, four cars crashed out. Yeah. So he, the only reason he was in ninth was because he just managed to to keep the car on the road. Absolutely. Now, I think that was that was the case tonight. Keep it on the road. 
we, um, you know, in terms of strategy, there was a bit of undercut. So I think uh, Norris took the best advantage of undercut early on uh, to get ahead of Bottas, which was great. Um, but if we just fast forward to those last two laps for a minute, because it was the most exciting you know, part of the race just because it was intense, right? It was what's going to happen here. Sergio Perez has inherited the lead from his teammate who's crashed into the wall and they choose a standing start, which also is quite rare. Um, often they just do end up going with a bloody um, safety car start. But isn't it fascinating to listen again into the team radio that we're getting access to? Hamilton at the end sitting in the pits going, did I have the magic on? Uh, oh, I thought I turned it off. And then there was this oh, brilliant yeah. thing where Anthony Davidson couldn't tell us what it was because he is a Mercedes sim driver, so he knows exactly <laughs> what that is. And then Ted just pulls out and goes, oh, well, I know what it is. And that that's Ted Kravitz's <laughs> best moment of a while um, to be able to say, no, no, they've got this thing that essentially, you know, works the top, works the brakes, works everything up. And, and Lewis left it on. Lewis made – it wasn't a late-breaking mistake. It was a – technical mistake in the car harry that essentially cost lewis hamilton a points uh finish for the first time in a, what was it 54 races yeah do you reckon do you reckon this is the first like we, we talk a lot about how how they keep up with all the buttons and dials and stuff on yeah. the wheel do you reckon this is the first time that it has been like the legitimate cause for a major like bin of a, of a driver Oh, I think that that's probably quite right. I, you know, to be honest, when I saw Lance's car on the side of the track with two wheels missing um, and they went to the onboard, I immediately looked at his hands and I thought, is he frigging around here? Is that what caused it? But it, it did. in the he end, was. it wasn't. He was frigging around, but that wasn't what caused the tyre uh, delamination. But it, I don't think I can recall, Connor, uh, another time where a driver doing something, you know, Roman Grosjean going into the wall, he wasn't playing with the switches. He was just, he just over, over uh, warmed it, essentially. I yeah. think Lewis has made one of the biggest errors for a driver on the uh, physical, you know, you know, switches of the car in a very long time. Absolutely, and breaking all, breaking all the records. Yeah, he's <laughs> making more than a few records right now. But uh, yeah, he, he basically made an absolute cock up, absolute fuck up in the end, and he's paid the price. First non points finish in a very, very long time, but it makes the championship much more interesting. Whatever happened? I mean, Hamilton was in a position to capitalise on Max's downfall. I mean, in in other ways, had Max finished, he would have gained more points in terms of the championship and extended his championship lead over Lewis. It's probably the the most interesting part of the race, uh, the race day as well, is Lewis playing that, you know, team role, sitting in the pits before the restart. He said to Mm. the team, guys, remember, this is not a sprint. This is a marathon, not a sprint. And, you know, you're like, hey, what are you talking about? Oh, he's talking about the whole season. And then it's him that fucks it up. It's such it's <laughs> it's such an amazing thing. I, I, mean, I actually it, I think it humanizes Lewis in in, in many ways. I think that's yeah. not only poetic, but I do think it humanizes him a bit, Harry, because that 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 thought that he had while sitting in the pits, offset by the the error that he mm. made, it's unbelievable. I think it's been it's definitely been. Um, I'm not going to go as far as say he's humbling, but it's definitely been the, the closest thing to an ego check that he's that oh, he's had it's been a, a few massive. Years. Massive ego check for for Lewis, and I think you could tell by the way his body language was in the car after he got back to the pits at the end of the race. It was like I really don't want to get out of the car right now because I I knew I fucked up. That's that's you could see it in his face that he knew he made an absolute error with the magic brake. So, you know, you're right. There is a humbling factor for Lewis right now, and he might have to take a bit of stock over the next couple of weeks to uh, you know reassess his uh, his. I guess his stance towards this year's championship because yeah. 
yeah, it's it's what it is. He, he's basically made a mistake, and in the end, we're all human after all. I think his head's in the right spot with it, though. Like, he was very quick to own up to the mistake and oh, and didn't try to, you know, pass any blame in any direction other than his own. So, I think, you know, with that mentality, it's for him, it's, it's the right spot to then go back and reflect on knowing that it's your own mistake and knowing what did I do wrong here? I wasn't paying attention to this. I kept this setting on, all this sort of stuff that he can go back and reflect on rather than, you know, you come off and you go, oh, fucking engineers, they did this or mm. Pirelli or whatever. Like, he, he, Monaco he's got that, him. yeah, he knows what to work on in himself. So, I, I think this is probably a good thing for him, if anything, actually. Yeah, yeah Harry, let, let's look at the actual results because we haven't really talked through them. I mean, what an utterly brilliant podium. Again, just for Formula One, just for – you've got to remember that, and it's hard for non-hardcore fans, none of whom would be listening to this, but, you know, it's hard for Formula <laughs> One to crack it for a news headline um, because it's the same thing over and over again, right? And I, I, I won't lie, I've had this conversation at the Today Show. It's like, why didn't we mention X, Y, Z? And it's like, come on, it's like it's not really news that Lewis Hamilton won, right? But – you know, Sergio Perez winning the race, Sebastian Vettel for, um, you know, a second place, which is outstanding for him after such a long time, but also the first for Aston Martin, first podium for Aston Martin. Pierre Gasly getting third place for Alpha Tauri. Charles Leclerc in fourth for Ferrari, battling for third, with Lando Norris right on his tail, battling essentially for third, that was a great ending battle. up with fifth. Yeah. And Fernando Alonso coming from, you know, a great result for Alpine with uh, Yuki Tsunoda not doing a bloody bad job in, in seventh. I think it's and actually that, a really good <laughs> overall, you know, top ten. Um, Absolutely. Harry. Yeah, definitely. It was for the sport, like you said, it's exactly what we need. I think the only way it could have been better from F1's perspective is if uh, Leclerc managed to get the podium there and get Ferrari back on the tops, uh, on one yeah. of the steps. But, um, yeah, like Gasly, though, in third, just he is just, I think, the most underrated driver on the grid. Like he Huge just call. continues to. Mm. Well, who who else do you reckon? Like he he just outperforms whatever he should in that in that Alpha Tauri. And I think if he was in any of the top three teams, he would be a podium every week. All right, I'll counter that straight up and say that's great. Um, but doesn't he only get those results when others fall around? And I get that there's always going to be people that fail and fall and and crash and whatever. But you know, let's look at his actual results in raw pace and raw racing, you know what I mean? Like I, I know he's done very well, but um, underrated, overrated, he's probably just rated, I think, just mid-range. But you think like that already, like that that Alpha Terry by default is going to be worse than the Red Bull, right? So if we're looking at that, so at best he has the, the third best car, also fifth best on the grid, and he's consistently in those, you know, in that the in the top ten there. So Yeah, he's always in the top ten most of the races. So I, I think he's probably the best of the rest right now in terms of the rest of the field. Like he's just consistent race upon race. And yeah, he's had a few duds, let's face it. But I mean and there's probably some truth in the fact that, you know, he always picks up the pieces when things happen. I mean great case in point is last year's Italian Grand Prix, which he won and he deserved that win you know, fair and square. But, mm. you, know, th- you know, he's just been in that position as well, right? Like you can't, it yeah, was only got, two I, cars I agree. in front of him. Like he, there, yeah. He, yeah. It's not like he was in 14th and then there was 10 cars that crashed out in front of him and you won. Okay. Like he, All right. Well, I, I honestly didn't think Fernando Alonso was going to make the top 10 tonight. He, no. he had a pretty he had a pretty dreary start, let's face it. He was right down near the, the tail of the field. And for him to finish in sixth position tonight and to get some points for, for Alpine after Esteban retired early. I mean, 
I'm still I'm still trying to get my head around that, but it was a great result for Fernando. It's probably one of his best finishes of the season thus far since his return. Let me give you an unpopular opinion um, from the <laughs> sake of the the kind of fans of just action. Mm. Uh, that race uh, didn't deliver anything that I thought it would in the first thirty laps. I mean. I had money on so many drivers being first out because I just, (laughs) we've seen so many good things happen at turn one, turn two, you know, a lot of really crazy things happen. You honestly, massive credit to the actual lineup of drivers. I think there was so many times tonight where I went, that was, that was credit to them, like Giovinazzi and Sainz. Did Mm. you see that time Sainz went around Giovinazzi on a left hand 90 degree? Giovinazzi left, I swear to God, just enough room for that to happen. And it didn't, wasn't like he backed out. He, he just let it happen and it worked and, and he raced him. But that could have easily been a crash. There were so many times when that could have happened. I do think, Harry, we've actually got a, a good set of drivers in that sense in that Definitely. they're all giving each other the right space. They're, they're actually like racing well. I think that's, a, that's yeah. my observation. Well, that was my thing with, with this race as well. Is, you know, you, you said that, you know, we're talking about the F2 and, and how there was a lot more I guess, wheel-to-wheel racing. But the thing that I think this race had, which is my biggest complaint in general around most of the races in Formula 1, is that for most of the race, I didn't know who was going to be in what position by the end of the race. Yeah. Like, towards the end, we started, we we thought that Max was, you know, going to take it home by that point. But pretty much every other position, I, I didn't know who was going to be there in the last couple of laps. So, if you to have that anticipation, I think is a good thing for the sport that needs to have every race rather than just being this procession that has you know a couple of exciting corners in the first couple of laps and then that's it. But I think Connor, that's why I like, for example, IndyCar, and I talk about it a bit because you yeah. know I've watched it a bit more lately. But it is there are some absolute gun drivers, you know, Dixon, Power, whatever you like. There's some gun drivers. But it is almost difficult to be very sure that who's going to be in that top three. You do see different names. You do do see different yeah. stuff. That's what we all want is we want, um, you know, I don't like Lance Stroll, but I want him in the top ten regularly pushing hard. You know, I, I want to see Pierre do well because I want to see different names. I, I just want to see racing. And that's still what we're not getting truly is great racing. We're getting a few moments of, of joy from the DRS and the long straight here. But I am just desperate to see how the next next year's car plays out yeah. in terms of bringing us that tighter, aggressive racing that you do see in F2. I mean, it's not just because of Oscar Piastri that we're watching F2 no. in our household. It's because it's actually fun to watch. Like, it's, it's enjoyable it's racing. Not- it is enjoyable racing, and it's not just Formula 2. Formula 3 has provided some really good close racing as well, wheel-to-wheel racing as well, which is what makes it so entertaining. But on the point of IndyCar, I'll give you a case in point. So many different winners so far in this season, six different winners in the first six races mm. from six mm. different manu- um, six different nationalities. I mean, Alex Palau Spanish, Colton Hurd is American, Scott Dixon, New Zealand, Pada DeWard. First time in like 20 years I've sat and yeah. watched the whole IndyCar race and the, yeah. the, the Indy 500 and it was the first time in forever that it was friggle yellow flags and uh, the quickest race in history. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I picked the wrong one, but um, that it, it was still good to watch and, and that's because there's this tightness to it. There's that potential to it. Anyway, that's that's just, I think, we're just still projecting on what we're hoping for from next year. Let's let's look at, you know, some of the standout performances driver-wise. Obviously, 
you know, Checo's just had an absolute cracker, an absolute flyer. He was there. And I think the number one thing we need to talk about with Checo is he's this is the this is the kind of performance. I'm not saying he cemented it, but this is the kind of performance that Christian Horner and Helmet would want from their rear gunner. There was times where he was he was holding off Lewis and letting Max go ahead. He was clearly as good as Max, if not better than Max at some phases of the race. So Harry, like he he, if he does that one or two more times, he's got a 2022 contract with Red Bull. Well, that's his brief, right? Is to If something happens with Max, he has to be there to clamp the points. And it's exactly what happened today. And even that's if it didn't happen to Max, yeah, and if, even if Max uh, came on the victory there, it was going to be a Red Bull 1-2, and it was going to smash them ahead in the, the championship ahead of Mercedes, which mm. which they have done anyway, but that's only by by pure luck on the mistake that Lewis made. But in terms of his role and what they expect of him, if he can keep doing this and just being there to clean up those points that Max misses, then he's got that 2022 contract in the bag. Yeah. Um, Connor, the performance by Daniel this weekend is going to give another two and a half weeks of fuel on the fire, Mm. which I find frustrating to watch the media reporting. It's like he has a bad – he doesn't finish ahead of Lando, so he's not performing well. You've got to watch the whole weekend to understand, look, he fucked up in qualifying. He'll admit that, and that that ruined his race. It's full stop. But he had – he was he was as good, if not better, than Lando for many sessions. He had good moments. He passed Lando. I don't know how Lando got past him. The directors didn't show it. You know, he he had pace. He's doing okay. He it, did. It, it's it's really not a write off. I just think it's amazing that um, certainly the media seem to be writing Daniel off at this point, and I just hope he comes back shining in the next couple of races. Well, you and me both. I, I, the one thing that really irked me last night was that as soon as Daniel underseed off into the wall in Q2, which basically ended his chances of a top 10 yeah. starting position, is that I knew as soon as that happened, the media and the fans were going to get onto his back and basically yeah. write off the shit of him because it just, it just angers me because da- we know Daniel was really good. But they just seem it could, at the moment they seem to think that because Lando is whipping his ass hand over fist over the last few races that he's now past it that he's had it that he's not as mm. quick you know he's not adapting to the car so he must be no longer that good well he's still trying to get used to a car that he's still coming to grips with and as I said quite a number of times before Lando has got a distinct advantage that he has driven that car one season more than Daniel so. Yeah. Give the guy a fucking break. He needs a bit of time. And I think, if anything, he's needing to look forward to 2022 because the new regulations, new everything will mean a fresh start. And that's probably the prerogative of what he's looking forward to is next year, the new regulations. To play devil's advocate to that, though, Mr. Sebastian Vattel on the uh, the podium. I know. (laughs) I know. But he he started off the season pretty badly let's face it i mean we we were no, just but i think connor stopped. i think the that's point a, harry's making mean. and it's a valid one yeah. is um carlos Sainz and sebastian vettel are broadly performing better in their new cars than daniel yeah. is and and daniel's looking like the one who's changed teams that isn't yet getting the results well yeah i mean to be honest again that's you're looking at a single headline there with alonso doing well he's, he, it's the first time he's beat knock on um so this year so this is a problem with, I think, with the sport, the media, the 24-hour news cycle and all those things. They really do put so much pressure on these guys. You wouldn't want to be them apart from the cash, right? Yeah, but of course. But it's, it's kind of a fascinating... <laughs> I mean, I'd still want to be them anyway. 
oh, there's a bunch of reasons why you want to be them it's outside of the, the cash in the cars too, just quietly. <laughs> but, but um, look, you know, that you know, Daniel has a they call it a long-term contract with McLaren. It feels like it's he's going to be there for at least another two years, I think. Um, so I think we're going to get 2022-2023 are going to be really exciting years in that sense. Um, uh, let's talk about what's coming up. Um, and I want to do that with a view to thinking about the issues of the calendar. So we've got France. We'll talk about calendar. We'll talk about the issues, and then we'll go into the points with Connor. So we've got France coming up in a couple of weeks um, at the Circuit de Port Ricard. Um, that, like, that's that's a very different circuit. That should be very interesting. Daniel's actually done pretty well there in the past. Um, Austria, two races in Austria back to back, and then Great Britain. Is Great Britain the first time, Connor? We're going to see the the sprint. Um, qualifying trial. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Okay, so that's um, you know uh, a Saturday qualifying and a Sunday morning race ahead of a Sunday afternoon race, um, with the first race being a quick one for for qualifying the grid. I mean, I'm just I don't know how that works. I'm so I'm actually really pumped to see it, but um, you know we're still going to get to the Netherlands. All those things are going to happen, but we've lost Singapore, Harry, gutted. We've lost gutted. Singapore due to COVID. Gutted. Like, it, I, as much as I enjoy watching that as well, there was also this glimmer, like very slim glimmer of hope that that maybe we'd even be able to get to go there in person in some kind of travel bubble that might pop up. But that doesn't look likely and the race is cancelled anyway and just it all just fucking sucks. Mm. And that, look, it's interesting, the F1 website still has Singapore in in the in the kind of lineup, but it says cancelled on, on all the times and things. So Singapore, there's a gap there now between Russia and Japan. Um, and uh, that's kind of fascinating because it, it you're, in, you're in this kind of flyaway phase. So it's like, where do you put a replacement for that, if anything? And it's probably going to be a nothingness. But it still leads me back to my original conversation about Mexico, Brazil, and into Australia. I think <clears throat> I think the the business of Formula One is putting the business of Formula One well ahead of the genuine concerns for COVID and all those kind of things. And I do feel like given what's happening in Melbourne and a shout out to anyone that's listening in Melbourne, we feel for you having to be in lockdown, but, you know, blame your government. Um, the, I'm, I, I I'm in lockdown too. You what now? I'm in lockdown. You? That's so that because you've got nowhere to be. Really? Yeah, that's yeah, till the end of this week. Really? Yeah, I got okay. caught up. Where did you go? Just I was in there for twenty four hours. Just and happened to be the wrong day at the, the wrong time. time. Oh, you poor oh, bastard! God. Yeah. Oh, I feel so you right got now. you get you get out on the on the weekend. You got another whole like five days. Yeah, out on Friday. Oh, man, man. Oh, that's gonna be well, that's gonna be a stretch. I just given that they've locked down, given that they've extended the lockdown over almost nothing. I just think the Rolex Australian Grand Prix is. Buckley's and none of happening at this point. No, but here, I can't here, see so, it. So let me throw this out, right? I think it's only Melbourne that's out. I think Australia can still do it. I just, I just don't know who runs motorsport in this country and why they're not amping up a conversation around a, an alternative. Just, I wonder, fucking, I wonder if it's the, like they can't grade tracks fast enough or something. Like, you, we've got the Bend and we've got Sydney Motorsport Park, which, which are both FIA grade two. And I'm not sure what is needed to make them grade one, and maybe that is the issue. But isn't there some F1 tracks that are not grade one, and they're yeah, on the world championship? Yeah, I think we've raced some because they've um, they've they've 
rushed them last year. Wasn't there a one or two oh, of them that added one. last year? Do you know what I mean? Like, what I'm yeah. saying is, can we just answer that question? Why, why is no one in motorsport in Australia talking super vocally now about this? Um, I mean, it feels like we're the only ones doing it. Quite frankly, it feels like we're the only people talking about this, yeah. that, that we should be talking about um, a, a one-month bubble, um, having alternatives to Melbourne, ha- like basically saying, listen, here's what you put to the FIA. You say, listen, as discussed over the last few months, we can bring you a five-week bubble where you all do seven to ten days quarantine, and we know you're going to hate that, but you will then have four weeks of holiday and race time. Now, you all need a holiday, and we've got the best country in the world for it. And by the way, you don't need to wear masks when you're holidaying here. Like, Can you imagine sitting in front of Stefano Domenicali, whatever his frigging name is, and saying, <laughs> we've, we can sell you the, the old school lifestyle now and you can get one or two races in your call, your choice. And we, we put, we put forward three courses. We say we've got City Motorsport Park, The Bend, and Melbourne. Obviously, our desire is to have Melbourne first and foremost, given the new track, da da, da, da. If there's any issue in either one of those states, we have alternatives and we can turn it around. Like, this is what you do. You say we can do it. And, well, and you just you, you get them to lock it in. Yeah, I agree well, with that even totally. Even sharing with New Zealand, like, Use the Highlands or something. Highlands, Highlands is an I think an FIA Grade Two or something as yeah. well. It's got it's got the facilities to do it. And Jesus, Quinn, it's not it's I not mean, short of a quid. Honestly, I, I just think that Australian motorsport is letting itself down now by letting the Australian Grand Prix Corp run this conversation. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like the gov- yeah. the problem for the government is. Politically, it doesn't look great to be advocating for a fucking Formula One Grand Prix when people are still locked up and all that kind of stuff, right? I get that. But they need to be posturing to, uh, uh, you know, tourism, to future stuff, to a whole bunch of things that need to happen. This is the perfect time because it's fucking November we're talking about it. It's it's theoretically a month or so before some form of border opening begins with vaccinated passengers. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just saying that I believe a conversation needs to happen that is not led by the Australian Grand Prix and has some credibility around what can and can't be done. Um, Connor, make some calls. You're, you're more connected than even I am. Oh, I'm going to have to now, won't I, now that you've uh, put it to me. But uh, I know a few people at Sydney Motorsport Park. I know a few people within Motorsport Australia. So, uh, yeah, I might, might have to look People who are not the linked Formula One to Australian, the Australian Grand Prix. But it's spot on, Harry. The future of the Australian Formula One calendar is on you for 2021 that's all we're saying here yeah thank you very Um, much so connor as we wrap up let me uh let me ask you for the most important stats that you keep at your fingertips all throughout the race i mean the whatsapp updates are just unbelievable Um, (laughs) (laughs) drivers and constructors world championships after the azerbaijan grand prix oh where do we begin when i was going through the tallies through the the race it basically, we thought Max Verstappen would extend his lead, and then Lewis Hamilton took the lead, but now it's back to status quo. So Max Verstappen came into the event, 105 points, four-point lead over Lewis Hamilton. It remains the same, 105 to 101. Lando Norris now sits in fourth position, so he's dropped back one spot to Sergio Perez. Perez now sits third on 69 to Lando 66. Charles Leclerc fifth on 52 in sixth position. Valtteri Bottas on 47. He was nowhere tonight. Absolutely nowhere. 42 points for Carlos Sainz in seventh position. Eighth position now, Pierre Gasly, 31 points. Daniel Ricciardo has dropped now 
Actually, no, I, I lie. It's uh, Sebastian Vettel now ninth on 28 points, and Daniel Ricciardo is now 10th on 26. So he has dropped quite a number of spots after two pretty ordinary races. Now, in the Constructors' Championship, Red Bull have now extended their lead in the Constructors' Championship by virtue of Checo's win tonight. So Red Bull now 174 points to Mercedes 148. That is about 26 points, the margin between them. The battle for third sees Ferrari now move up into third in the Constructors, 94 ahead of 92 for McLaren. And the battle for fifth is interesting because Alpha Tauri has now leapfrogged Aston Martin into fifth place. So AlphaTauri 39, Aston Martin 37, and the Constructors' table sees Alpine on 25 and Alfa Romeo on two points. Now, I have to leave you with a very important piece of information. And again, a good thanks to our friends at KO uh, for supporting the EFTM podcast. And we encourage you all to get KO and enjoy the full weekend of Formula One on KO. But um, Harry, um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but um, Nikita Mazespin, um, finished finish ahead of Lewis Hamilton. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, that is, you know, you spent the whole race looking at how he was like a minute behind Mick Schumacher, like 30 seconds after coming out of the safety car, which I thought was impossible, but he, he manages to do it. Um, but he somehow managed to beat Lewis. So good on him. Mate, well if done. I was him, I'd retire right. now. Uh, he beat Lewis Hamilton. He's best to retire Take a now. Take leaf out of the Rosberg book. <laughs> it's basically as good as a world championship let's be honest um boys uh it was actually a cracker race i enjoyed it, it immensely and um hopefully we get some some more action like that <clears throat> at um the french in just a couple of weeks from now so we'll be back for that race boys uh good to talk to you and uh let's do it all again after the next grand prix and we see another checkered flag let's hope so see you then